And in a lot of ways, I think families get the most value from this. You're saving $400 a ticket, but then you're buying four of them. Like that's 1600 bucks that you might have had to spend otherwise. You have landed on the one and only podcast where you'll learn about the people and places that inspire life-changing travel. This is Dramatic Travels. Yo-ho, my friend, Aaron Schlein here, and welcome to episode number 18 of the Dramatic Travels podcast, your weekly dose of family travel inspiration. Dramatic Travels is here to inspire you to travel the world with your kids and to provide you with the resources and support to help make your family travel dreams take flight. My guest this week on Dramatic Travels is Scott Kyes. Scott is the founder and CEO of Scott's Cheap Flights, which is a service that can save you thousands of dollars on flights for you and your family. Here in part one of the episode, we're going to learn about the man behind the cheap flights. Scott shares, of course, his earliest travel memories and the best and worst moments from his travels and how he turned his love of finding cheap flights into a thriving multi-million dollar international business. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Such a fun conversation. Then in part two, Scott and I discuss the specifics of how families can use Scott's cheap flights to save tons of money on travel. Let me tell you, I subscribed to Scott's cheap flights the day after I recorded this interview with Scott. And my friend, the deals are real. I get multiple emails from Scott every single day with cheap flights to incredible, incredible destinations all over the world. Places like Paris and Brazil, Portugal, Iceland, Rome, Hawaii, the Cook Islands, Mexico. These are just a few of the deals that have landed in my inbox and gotten me fired up about traveling the world with my family and just fired up about travel in general. You you hear me say this all the time, the responsibilities of life and how they can be so overwhelming and how easy it is for travel to get pushed further and further back in your brain. My friend, if traveling is important to you, then you have to keep travel top of mind and you have to do things that make you think about traveling every single day if you can. And for me, seeing those flight deals land in my inbox three, four, five times a day is an incredibly powerful and fantastic way to keep travel in the top of my mind and to keep those wanderlust juices flowing on a daily basis. And another thing, I hope this doesn't sound too much like a commercial. Scott's Cheap Flights is not a sponsor of this show. However, having spent time speaking with Scott and now being a subscriber to Scott's Cheap Flights, I simply felt compelled to share my feelings about this service. Uh, I just think it's a great, great resource for you and for your family. Uh, Scott's Cheap Flights.com, that's the place to go for all the details. 
Of course, all the notes from this episode are waiting for you over at DramaticTravels.com slash 018. All the links, all the resources, the timestamps, it's all right there for you at DramaticTravels.com slash 018. And like I said, this is a two-part episode. If you're listening the day this goes live, uh, part two will be available in the podcast directories bright and early tomorrow morning. But if you don't want to wait until tomorrow, simply head over to DramaticTravels.com slash 018 and both parts of this episode are there for you to enjoy right now. All right, my friend, time to crank up the volume. Here's my chat with Scott Kyes from Scott's Cheap Flights. Off we go. Dramatic Travels family, I am super excited to introduce you to today's guest, Mr. Scott Kyes. Scott, my friend, are you ready to share your dramatic travels? Heck yes, I am. All right. Scott is the founder, CEO, and flight searcher in chief of Scott's Cheap Flights, which you can find at scottscheapflights.com. Scott, that's your official bio. Take a moment. Tell us a little about you as a person. What is life like in the world of Scott Kai? <laughs> you know, uh, I love being me. I get to I get work a dream job. I got a dream company. Just being able to work in a position where I'm helping people all day, every day, find cheap flights and live those, you know, take those trips, go on those vacations that they didn't think they could afford otherwise. Like that is a, absolutely a dream. And and being able to live vicariously through people when they take those trips. The funny thing is though, you know, as as enjoyable as that is just like any job, when you start to get down to the nitty gritty, not always as glamorous as it might seem, you know, I work in travel, which is incredible. It's amazing. But what that actually looks like on a nuts and bolts is, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, I'm on my laptop, I'm searching for flights. And it doesn't, it doesn't frankly look that much different than other jobs per se. Just I'm lucky to be able to kind of dream and wanderlust and help people travel in the process. Great. Just touch on your personal life for just a second. What do you, what, what's, what's Scott Kai's personal life all about? Oh man. So when I'm not on the road, I live with my wife and, and our, uh, puppy and, and cat out here in Portland, Oregon. Um, it's great. We love it out here. You know, go hiking on, on the weekends, playing a, a soccer league. We just joined a bocce league. So try to get out outdoors and whatnot, but especially working from home, able to kind of be really location independent. So Sometimes it's working from home. Sometimes that's like work where I was down at a coffee shop this morning, you know, working over my brother's house. It's great. But yeah, I'm really trying to kind of uh, absorb the Portland lifestyle. Moved here about a year ago from Colorado and really, you know, getting into the the bike scene out here, the craft brewery scene. Uh, um, Yeah, just into it all. And what, what precipitated that move? So my brother actually had uh, uh, kids recently and really wanted the whole family to be able to get out together here, you know, again, lucky enough to be able to work a job where I could be anywhere. Like I can, as long as I have a decent internet connection, I can search for flights and, 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 and send them out from anywhere. So, uh, Oregon was as good a place as Colorado. And, uh, you know, I've been in Colorado a couple of years, liked it a lot, but honestly, I felt like I was getting a little allergic to the sun as like, entitled as that sounds oh too much sunshine oh it's terrible but like i don't know after a while you start to you stop appreciating a little bit you know you have to always like bring your sunglasses put on tons of sunscreen every time it's kind of nice to move somewhere where it's a little bit uh um 
Yeah, I kind of like the rain out here, oddly enough. Anyway, we don't have to go into a big, a whole big discussion of, of Portland versus uh, uh, Fort Collins weather. But um, yeah, that's kind of what brought me out, just family. Well, that's a good reason. And I just think the, you know, the, the moral of that story is the lifestyle you've created for yourself allows you to be home when you want, be gone when you want, and find a new home when you want, when you want to be closer to family. And I think that is just incredibly, incredibly cool. And we're going to get into to Scott's cheap flights and how you managed to create that life for yourself a little bit later. But right now, I want to start with you just focusing again on you, Scott, as a person and particularly as a traveler. Mm-hmm. Scott, go back as far as you can into your childhood and tell me about your earliest travel memory. So I think my earliest travel memory I can remember was... Uh, Probably I was about seven or eight years old, and uh, one summer my family and I took a road trip across the entire United States. So you know, I grew up in Southwest Ohio, just a small little, uh, a small little community out there, three thousand people, and so you know that was it was just kind of it was very local, it was very parochial, not uh, a ton to, to to see. And then so one summer we just got in the car and packed up and drove around the entire country. I mean, went through like. 30 different states all the way out to the West coast, you know, through California and Oregon and, and looping back. And that kind of really was an eye opener for me, like how much exists out there in the world beyond the sort of, uh, a small little village that I lived in the, you know, the surrounding cornfields and stuff like, Holy crap, there's like national parks and cliffs and like big faces carved into rock in, you know, some far uh, distant state. And so it, it very much felt like a, wow, like super interested in what else is out there. So that really kind of sparked the uh, curiosity as a young, as a young kid. So the flight searcher in chief, it all started on a road trip. Ironically yeah. Ironically enough. enough. <laughs> Any particular moments, um, you know, whether with family members or just any particular moments from that road trip just really fly to the top of your mind as inspirational or just something that you just you can go back to in your mind because it was just such a, a powerful memory i mean the national parks especially but uh you know i even think of like the redwoods so going through northern california and just seeing these absolutely massive trees like bigger than any not only obviously than anything i'd ever seen before but anything that i ever had imagined like as an eight-year-old kid you know i mean you have a big imagination but it's hard to actually conceptualize wow there are these trees that are like i can walk underneath like you can tunnel out the middle of and you can walk through in the bottom that was like it was total mind you know it just blew my mind that that type of thing could exist. Um, so, you know, between seeing things like that, going to the Badlands and uh, Mount Rushmore, obviously, definitely was like open my eyes to to expanded my conception of of uh, the realm of the possible, like what types of things could exist out there beyond just like stuff I'd seen in in, in books. You know, our kids things like to actually see this and visualize it in person really sort of uh, 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 yeah an eye opener for sure realm of the possible. I love that. And that's something I really hammer on this show really hard. And the way you just described that, taking that trip as as a kid and just opening up your eyes to those possibilities and shedding light on what is possible. And I feel like people who don't travel, it's not that you can't live a great inspirational life without travel, but your chances, in my opinion, are just so much better when you take those trips, have those eye-opening experiences. And I really really thank you for sharing that story because I want to use, I I love hearing these stories and I love sharing these stories 
So hopefully we can inspire, even if it's just one person, if this story hits just one set of ears out there that says, you know what, my kid's been sitting on his butt watching too many playing video games for too long. We're going to hit the road. And Scott Kai has convinced me that I need to take my kids out and, and show them something. No, I, I've yet to meet someone who has traveled somewhere, taken a trip and really regrets doing it. Like it, you know, it doesn't have to be the best trip of your life, the most memorable thing you ever did, but nobody really regrets traveling. It's not something you look back on like, man, I wish I hadn't taken that trip to Barcelona or I wish I hadn't gone on that road trip to, to Mount Rushmore. Like it's always worth doing. Always worth doing. Yeah. It's funny. I have a blog post where I, I use almost the exact uh, phrase that you just used, where you, you'll never hear someone lying on their deathbed saying, gosh, I wish I had traveled less. Mm, it's just, mm. it's never, ever going to come up. Mm-hmm. So, so looking at, you've, you've just talked about some specific moments. Scott, can you think of a specific person over the course of your life who you would consider a, a travel inspiration? Mm. Yeah. So I imagine when most folks that you ask this probably give some variation on their parents, right? Or like, you know, a a kind of formative figure in their, in their youth, I would imagine. It's surprisingly all over the board, which is not what I would expect. Actually, my kind of hypothesis going into Hmm. this, this project, this, this podcast was more in line with what you just said, that it's going to be a parent, a grandparent, maybe a teacher. I have had just a rainbow of fruit flavors when it comes to inspiration, which has motivated me even more to identify the different types of inspiration just to let folks know that it can come from anywhere and you can be that inspiration for somebody else. Very interesting. Yeah. I w- okay. That, that, that's fascinating to hear because I would have assumed that for most people, it's going to be their parents and you know, that that would be sort of the cliche answer. But the, the one that stands out most viscerally in my head, and obviously my parents played a role, took me on this road trip and everything. But the one that I really think of is an old, one of the very early internet viral sensations called where the hell is Matt? So this was this guy in like 2005, probably who basically would travel around the world and would bring you know, I mean, it was probably just a little point and shoot camera, like nothing fancy. This is pre smartphone era. He would go to really cool places, you know, South Korea, Zambia, like London, wherever. And he would film himself just doing the goofiest, most like white boy dance you could possibly imagine. And he would be doing it in these beautiful, like, like far flung places across the globe. And I remember, you know, I got my first job, like I would watch this a little bit in college and I'd get my first job and I'd be sitting there in the office and just like daydreaming, you know, wishing I was not in the office, but that I was like off traveling some really cool place. And this was, this was my, like, this was my drug at the time, just watching this video. He made a, a few of them, three or four, their original by vi- like viral sensations where you're just traveling, doing this goofy dance and really inspiring people like myself to be like, Oh man, there's some awesome, awesome places out there that I want to go see. Uh, you know, nowadays, like folks doing viral videos and, and, and this type of thing or a dime a dozen, but this was like one of the original ones. You know, I feel like, Oh, I, I feel like I sound like a grandpa, like, Oh, back in my day, there were only a few type of, you know, YouTube stars, but this was one of the really cool, like formational, uh, uh, things in my sort of travel career. Well, and that really just highlights the point that it can truly come from anywhere. And that's, 
yeah, where the hell is Matt? I the name. It sounds familiar, but I can't say that I've ever seen it, but I'm glad that you did. <laughs> yeah, it's still out there. I mean, you can find it on YouTube. I think there's a where the hell is Matt.com. Um, uh, it, it, I, yeah, still to this day, I, I you know, I, I love it. I go watch, I go back and watch them every couple of months. Now, given your profile, you probably would have the opportunity to connect with where the hell is Matt if you choose to. Have you, have you ever met the guy? I haven't. Um, oh man. I, I, we need you to know, let him know. Still like, you, you know, you, you think of the stars from when you were a kid, like, oh, I, I don't know if he would even have at the time or be interested in meeting somebody like me anyways. I never really, I never really had thought about that. Maybe I should, maybe I should reach out. Who knows? Well, I'd like to think that anyone who had that much of an impact on someone indirectly, you know, just through the, the power of technology, that they would want to know that if I had a positive effect on someone's life, I think it yeah. would, you know, it'd feel good to, uh, to hear that and, and, and motivate us to move on and yeah. whatever Matt's happens to be doing today. I don't know, but, uh, I'm sure he would like to hear, uh, would love to hear that. That's odd. That's an awesome story. And I love it because it just goes to show you there's no two inspiration stories or travel origin stories that are exactly alike, which is why I trying to tell as many as I can to inspire as many as we can. And I really, really appreciate you sharing that. Sure. Uh, so Scott, another real, uh, major purpose of my podcast, why I started the podcast is to identify specific fears that travelers in general, but specifically parents might have about getting started traveling with their kids. And one of the ways I'm combating that is having inspirational travelers like yourself share stories of a low moment or something that happened over the course of your travels that rocked you and what you learned from it. Can you share a story like that? Probably the, the, one of the like early sort of low moments, I, I, you know, not my favorite time traveling. I was I, right after I graduated college, I was backpacking around Europe for three or four weeks. Um, you know, very sort of cliche, traditional move. And I, uh, I remember one day I'd like, I was in Lisbon. Uh, I was traveling by myself. I just like, or I was not having a very good time. Like I just kept, uh, just it was like one little thing after another like it didn't have uh, a, a whole lot of money like I, um uh, uh there were like kept like walking through these parks and people would try to come up to me and ask me in portuguese if i'd like to buy some drugs from them and i like was you know a i didn't speak portuguese b i wasn't interested and c is just like by the time the fifth person in company was like come on you saw me say no to the last guy like why do you think i'm gonna say yes to you and so i like Got it. I was like, all right, I got to get out of Lisbon. Like this, is, um, so I got like a, a late night bus down to the southern uh, coastal town of Faro, and um, I hadn't really like like there, that bus ended up getting canceled. It was supposed to be an overnight bus. Get there in the morning, but they were like, you can take this seven p.m. bus uh, that's about to leave. I'm like, okay, you know, I hadn't really thought about like I didn't really have, know what my other options were, so I took that. Lo and behold, that gets into Faro at like two a.m. And this is not like, you know, a major city where there's like a ton of accommodation and stuff. Like it's a pretty sleepy coastal community. I, this is like, I didn't have a smartphone. I definitely didn't have any type of like hotel recommend, uh, hotel reservations or hostels or anything. I had like maybe a guidebook and it had like two recommendations on there and both of them were closed. So I was just like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And my main concern, like my partly is like, where am I going to sleep tonight? It was partly like, man, I hope I just don't get mugged with all my like stuff on me. You know, I was just walking around with this big backpack. So my, 
I was just like, all right, let me just go find like the most well-lit place that I can find and just like huddle up in the night. Luckily, this is in July. So like the weather wasn't really a factor, you know, Southern Portugal. So I just go and find this marina and basically just like sleep with one eye open under under a street light with like my basically on top of my backpack to try to make sure that it like if somebody comes by they can't just take stuff from it it was a pretty low moment uh, in the trip and then i was getting like harassed by the police in the morning like probably trying to tell me you know hey, look you can't sleep here you got to move along but of course you know it's just my my uh mental energy was low i couldn't communicate language wise so it was a real kind of like cascading set of errors which was uh, uh frustrating at the time but then you know just in the way life goes from there it ended up getting way better like i met uh, i took a bus out of there over to sevilla i met these great travelers along the way we ended up hanging out for like three or four days in sevilla had an amazing time there like one of my favorite cities in all of europe uh so it's one of those that like look i figure for all uh, travel is open yourself up to new experiences and not knowing exactly what's going to happen. That's the whole point of like kind of putting yourself out there. And so a lot of times it's going to work out great and you're going to see really cool places and cool experiences are going to happen to you. And sometimes it's not going to go as well. And if it, you know, if it always went amazingly and went perfectly, it would take a little bit of the fun out of, uh, out of it. So I figure, look, I paid, you know, paid my top cost. I, I, I went through the sort of more, scary, intense, and less fun moments, uh, in order to be able to enjoy the, 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 the fun and excitement and, uh, enjoyment of regular of, of most of the, my other travels. What was your mindset like going forward after that night of one eye open sleep? <laughs> um, trying to avoid showing up in random cities where you don't have a map at 2 a.m., and and not like just assume somehow it's going to all work out. I mean, luckily, that was this was like, I think my next international trip after that, I had a smartphone uh, at the time. So I, at least I knew like, okay, look, even if I don't do a ton of research beforehand, even if I don't have like uh, uh, kind of all my ducks in a row, I've got sort of an insurance option because I can sit there and I can do research and figure out, okay, yeah, if I just go like, six blocks over there and down one block, then there's a good hostel where I could like go crash for the evening. But at the time I just didn't, you know, I didn't have those resources. I didn't have a fallback option. Uh, uh, and I didn't really have a plan. Um, so no, that kind of helped inform my preparations then for future trips. It's good though, to go through those types of experiences. That's how you learn stuff firsthand, you know? Yeah. Clearly you don't want that to happen again. And you've, you've, you've got, precautions or measures in place to ensure that it doesn't. But do you, do you feel like your confidence was boosted in any way or just you, you felt more empowered knowing that you lived through that? You'd lived to tell the tale. Life went on. The trip went on. I always figure, the, what, you know, what I always kind of uh, remind myself, I was a big Calvin and Hobbes fan growing up and, you know, the dad and Calvin and Hobbes always talking about like, Oh, when anything goes bad, whatever bad, you know, you're building character in it. Like you're, at least you're going through that. And, and, and I think the supplement to that too, is like, look, you got a, you got a cool story out of it. Like you don't rem- you know, the nobody really kind of recounts really great stories about the time they went to the beach and it went exactly as they planned and there was no hiccup and it was fine. And they came home and like, you know, whereas you remember those types of things when, when things went like 
way better or way worse than you expected. It makes it more memorable. And so I, you know, I try to remind myself that in the moment when things are going right, like, look, this will be a funny story down the line and, you know, you build and you learn from it. So try not to get too, uh, too hung up in the process that of like, uh, you know, woe is me getting a really kind of like self, uh, um, like self sympathy in the process. I really try to just stay positive and figure like, look, things are, the wheel's going to turn. You're going to meet some cool travelers pretty soon. And you're going to have a great time over in Sevilla. Like this is not going to, this is not going to last forever. This too shall pass. Yeah. No good story has ever come out of showing up with a reservation that was, I went to my room and then I went to sleep. Who you yeah, can, who yeah, you can yeah. tell that story to sleeping exactly. uh, under a light post with one eye open after spending the night fighting off drug dealers. No, that's a story, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So we talked highs and lows and obviously we've been to the lows. Let's, let's travel to the other extreme. Tell me about one of your most inspirational travel moments and the effect it had on you. You know, I'm actually, I was thinking about this. I'm actually going to go with a very recent one. This was uh, earlier in this month. Um, very inspirational travel moment, uh, biking around the Netherlands. Um, I, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I see like, this is, I think one of the best cities in the U S for like bike infrastructure and seeing, you know, places that like really kind of encourage and value biking. But man, going to the Netherlands, that just blows things out of the water. Like seeing a country that actually truly invests in bike infrastructure and makes it a way of life, like it is incredible. I mean, every, like, I can't remember a single street that didn't have a wide bike lane, if not a completely separated bike lane. You know, they're all painted separate colors to really make, like, emphasize for bikers and drivers, like, hey, this is the biker section, you know, over there's the driver section. And you can just see it so ingrained in the culture there that uh, people just aren't. I feel like there's a bit of a stigma around biking in the U.S., especially around cities that, you know, it's something to be very careful about, something to be very feared, something to be very worried about the downside risk. And it's just not viewed in the same way. It's a real category shift in the Netherlands where people uh, it's so ingrained in the culture that people do it, you know, nobody's wearing helmets, kids are biking everywhere. It's completely fine because, you know, cars know how to drive around bikes. Bikes know how to bike around cars. There's separate like lanes for it all. And it all just works much like so smoothly. So it was really inspirational for me, frankly, like seeing this, thinking about like, oh man, you know, I just, a place that I could live down the road or like, are there lessons here that I could try to bring back to the U S to be able to, to, uh, see some kind of small incremental changes towards that type of thing. Definitely one of the like more inspired times I feel like I've been inspired, uh, in my travels. So what's one specific takeaway there that, you know, if you were to, if you could stand in front of you know, the United States Congress and all right, Scott Kais is going to give us everything he learned from the Netherlands about the importance of bike infrastructure. <laughs> what's what's your number one? Yeah, I think if there's one thing I could change, it would probably be just putting bike lanes in every single street, at least in sort of these more dense areas to really encourage biking and make it feel like something that's a bit uh, uh, safer and more, rather than you're having to fight cars the whole time, that there's a separate space where bikes can go through. Way more people are going to be interested in doing it. It's going to be much more part of culture. And then that's sort of like 
gets the ball rolling and creates a uh, uh, um, kind of like a virtuous circle where, okay, cars are more used to having bikes on the road. They, you know, have a wider berth. People are see, see, okay, yeah, this isn't something that's really dangerous. Maybe I should bike more, you know, get the health benefits, get the, the, the transportation benefits, takes away more traffic, you know, on down the line. So if I could be king for a day, you know, rule Congress for a day, it'd be more, more bike lanes, if not mandatory bike lanes everywhere. Well, and that's clearly, it's a, it's a cultural, it's a cultural shift within the Netherlands and it's a countrywide initiative. Would you say that, would you say that the United States is at a disadvantage is surely because of our size? I mean, you live in Portland, I live in Sacramento. Sacramento is also a big biking town, but at the same time, although Sacramento and Portland are relatively bike friendly cities within the United States framework, you take it into Netherlands and it looks pathetic. Oh yeah. In comparison, that, that's just a fact. Uh, what do you think is one of our limiting factors as a country? Well, I think we're making progress. Um, I like I okay. So I lived in D.C. for four or five years, and you know I could see the slow but but sure shift in those few years where just more bike lanes were getting put in, and it became a bigger and bigger uh, part. Where but but it really is incremental. You know, you put these, you put in more bike lanes and that encourages folks to bike more. And then you folks are biking more and that's building up more of a constituency who are demanding, all right, look, if I can bike to, you know, these few places, I want to be able to bike more places. Like I want to be able to run errands. I want to be able to go to the grocery store rather than just to work. And so these things aren't easy making those types of shifts. And especially, you know, car culture is so incredibly ingrained in, uh, the U.S. over the past 50, 60 years, uh, so much of our daily civic life is built around setting aside massive parts of like the public sphere for to have space for cars, whether that's driving through, whether that's parking. Uh, trying to reverse a little bit of that and start to do more biking is it, it, it's a tough thing. Trying to trying to kind of build that constituency, but I think. Yeah, I think I think we just need to have more local success stories. I mean, like you said, we see it in Portland, we see it in Sacramento, places, parts of New York, parts of DC, where frankly, like you can get at least this is my experience in DC, and I know it's experience for a lot of places in New York. You can get a lot of places quicker on bike than you can driving. It's you know, it just because there's so much traffic, because there's so many one ways, because there's so many uh, 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 things like that. Whereas having uh, uh, more dedicated bike lanes that's going a lot quicker and can weave, uh, uh, you know, just don't have the same sort of cons- traffic concern that you do with cars. That's going to start to encourage people over time. So I'd like to see, you know, more of that happen, have that more, more of those demonstrations where you're starting to build best practices and build success stories for other cities to, to be able to emulate. But, you know, I'm not under any illusions that this is happening overnight or that this is uh, uh, something that's imminent, but Hey, going to work on it. Right. And, and Dramatic Travels family, whether you are a bike enthusiast or not, a higher level takeaway from Scott's story here is just something he learned in a, in the learned from his travels and just observing the way things are done in a different, in other cultures, the, the way that value systems dictate the way the, that the culture and the civic culture is set up. And there's so much to be learned simply by traveling and exploring other cities around the world and seeing the way they do things. I can't, I couldn't even count the number of times throughout my travels where I would say, wow, 
that is just, I never thought of doing this that way. And man, it's genius. Why don't we do that in the States? One just example straight off the top of my head, and this will be parents everywhere can, would probably, um, can resonate with this, but in all over Europe, when you're climbing staircases, concrete staircases, you'll have, there'll be the stairs in the middle where you walk. And then on either side of the stairs is just a flat ramp where you can roll stroller wheels up Mm, and you can walk mm -hmm. up the stairs and push your stroller with your kid at the same time. You don't have to find the ramp. You don't have to go hunting around for the elevator. I've, I've literally never seen that in the States. If it's here, I've never seen it, but they're all over Europe. And it's like, why in the world aren't they doing that here? Another one too is uh, the, it's, it it relates to bikes, the, the pedalless glide bikes, I saw them all over Germany like 15 years ago. Little kids learning to ride three, four years old. The bikes with no pedals. You've seen these? They're Uh all over uh here now. They've made their way across the pond to the States. But it was like, oh my God, that is such a brilliant and simple and genius idea. Why aren't we doing that? And Mm. we are now, but it's just little things like that. You observe in your travels and you can incorporate them into your own life. And like you said, bring those ideas back and try to weave them into the culture as a whole. It's such a, a powerful thing. It's so cool seeing, you know, you go to different countries and see like the best things that they do there and, and starting to think of like, and not, not only the best things that they do in other places, but you also stepping outside of American culture for a little while gives you some distance to be able to see the best things that we do here too. And, and give you a, definitely a more, uh, a, a, uh, a more fervent appreciation for those things that you might've been taking for granted otherwise. Excellent, excellent point. That's the the yang to the yin of of, of my story. It's, it's perfectly said, yeah, because there's definitely a whole laundry list of things that, that are awesome about our country and things we should be grateful for. And when you travel around the world and you see um, or you, you miss those things and uh, really makes you be grateful uh, for what you have. So Scott, let's shift the conversation to, to your business, what you do for a living. Scott, I read that you founded Scott's cheap flights in a Denver coffee shop. Tell me about that. Yeah, very, uh, very random, very serendipitous. I had worked, um, for years as a journalist actually in Washington, DC. Uh, this was kind of what I studied in college. Um, I, definitely didn't study business. I definitely didn't, there was no like degree in flight searching or anything, but, um, I really dropped like as like just a hobby, gotten very good at finding cheap flights and, and sort of travel hacking those, that sort of stuff. And it all kind of culminated in, uh, 2013, late 2013, when I found the best deal that I ever got in my entire life, which was nonstop from New York city to Milan for 130 bucks round trip. Uh, it was still to this day, probably the best deal that I've ever gotten. Uh, I frankly didn't even know I wanted to go to Milan, but for 130 bucks, heck yeah, I'm going to go like, of course. So when I got back from that trip, you know, I had all these coworkers and friends who'd heard word got out, I guess, about the price. And they said, they'd come up to me, Hey Scott, how was your trip? Uh-huh. Listen, cool. Listen, next time you find a deal like that, can you let me know too? So I can get in on it as well. And by the time this sort of seventh or eighth person had told me, I, you know, to alert them, so I was like, I'm not going to be able to keep track of everybody. So why don't I just start a simple little email list and, you know, so I can alert everybody all at once. 
And so that's what I did. Like basically for uh, uh, then for the next 18 months or so, it was just a hobby. I really liked it when I would find a really good deal. I'd email it out to, to my friends and family and uh, uh, colleagues. And I would let them all know collectively like, hey, here's a really good deal that popped up if you're interested. And so word started to spread. You know, people, friends would tell friends. And by, by 2015, it had grown large enough that uh, it basically it basically got grown graduated out of the free tier on the mail on the Mailchimp subscription. So I had to start paying to send these emails, and I started to realize, oh man, like that's a bummer. I'd, you know, I I enjoyed doing this, but I didn't know if I wanted to pay for the opportunity to send emails to my friends. But then I was also like, wow, there's a real demand here. Folks really want these emails. They value them. I wonder if there's a business opportunity. And so that all then culminated in uh, 2015 in that Denver coffee shop where I flipped the switch and turned it into an actual business. All right, my friend, that'll do it for part one of my chat with Scott Kyes here on Dramatic Travels. If you're ready for part two, just head over to DramaticTravels.com slash 018 and part two is waiting for you to listen and enjoy. Aaron Schlein signing off for today. We'll talk again soon. See ya.